Welcome back to Via the Source, where you can get news about the entire NFL and, of course, the Miami Dolphins. Fins up. Here's Steven, your host. What's up, guys? Today's date is October 8th. I'm Steven Masso. As always, you're listening to Via the Source. Now, in today's episode, I did get an interesting question on Twitter in regards to J.J. Watt and what would the Dolphins do if they want to make a move for him? That will be discussed in today's episode. In today's episode, we're also going to be going over my preview of the matchup between the Dolphins and the San Francisco 49ers. But first, we will begin with the question that was asked on Twitter. And this is courtesy of Tone Lantern on Twitter. He says, hypothetically speaking, if the Texans want to recoup some picks, what are you willing to give up for J.J. Watt from a Finns perspective. So, uh, you know, this is a very realistic scenario. Colin Cowherd was talking about it. You look at the Texans situation right now. They are 0-4. They're going to bring in a new GM. They're going to bring in a new head coach. And they don't have a first or a second round pick because the Dolphins have both of them. That is a very bad situation to start a new regime with. So if the Texans aren't able to get on track and they view the season as kind of lost already at this point, they may look at the market and say, how can we get some of these picks back? And they had to look at who's on the team. So J.J. Watt is a very realistic person here uh, that could be traded in order to get some of these picks back. And I will say, first things first, when it comes to J.J. Watt, the guy is an absolute legend. Uh, you know, his performance is definitely not at his peak when he was in his prime, and I think everyone can recognize that. But still, even now, he continues to be disruptive, he continues to be a force, and teams have to put a lot of focus when it comes to stock stopping J.J. Watt, and that helps other guys, uh, you know, improve. And then you look at outside of what he does on the field, his element of being a leader, what he's able to bring to the locker room. I don't think that could be stressed enough. And I think with J.J. Watt, you kind of have a situation where I don't think any team, uh, you know, doesn't have a need for J.J. Watt. Any team would be happy to land a guy like that, even if their defensive line is already stacked, because what he could bring. A very similar situation to Tom Brady, even though he wasn't at his peak after he left uh, the Patriots, I don't think anybody was going to look at whoever landed him, like the Buccaneers, and say, oh, they made a huge mistake, because you know what you have in Tom Brady. Same thing goes for J.J. Watt. Now, what makes J.J. Watt's situation a little bit different is that J.J. Watt's had a ton of injuries. I've been thinking that, you know, if he gets hurt one more time, his career might be over. You go through the list of what he's had. He's had an arm elbow dislocation in 2012. In 2015, he had a grade 3 abdominal muscle tear. And then in 2016, he had the back vertebrae disc hernia. He had surgery for it, came back too early, had to get a second surgery on that back. Uh, he had a leg tibial plateau fracture. He had a chest uh, pec tear. So the guy's had a ton of injuries and it seems like he is barely hanging on and he's just one injury away from his career being over. And with that being said, you know, you have to look at it. The NFL is a business that's going to drastically decrease his value. He is also 31 years old. And I believe there's a number that is like he's missed 30 some games since 2016 because of all those injuries. That is a ton of games. So with all that being said, even though his values diminish, I do think a team would still appreciate having a guy like J.J. Watt. And I think teams that are more in a win-now state would be willing to give up more. And I'm looking at teams like the Steelers. I'm looking at teams like the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, I've heard talks that the Chicago Bears would like to have a guy like J.J. Watt. So I'm sure there are plenty of teams that would be willing to do it. The thing with the Dolphins, even though I'm sure they would also appreciate and benefit from having them, I don't think they would be willing to to give up as much just because they are not in that win now state 
J.J. Watt, again, 31 years old. He has dealt with a ton of injuries. You would have to pick up that contract. So where I would say his value to me, I think a team that is competitive and wants to win now would be potentially willing to give up a second round pick. For the Dolphins, I would say that they would probably, you know, be willing to give up a third. I don't think they would be willing to give up a second round pick when they can view, uh, you know, building a foundation with some other guys. But that is just the way I'm looking at it. You know, I'm here in Texas. I asked a friend who's a huge Texans fan what he thought, and he said, we need a first round pick if we're giving up J.J. Watt. That's the kind of love that they have for J.J. Watt, and I could see that there would be backlash if you give him up for a third round pick. That People would definitely feel like you didn't get the value you deserve when you give up a legend like that in J.J. Watt. But Again, I wouldn't be mad if the Dolphins were to trade like a third round pick. Now, if they were to trade a second, I would be kind of, you know, eyeing them a little bit. Like that's a little bit odd. Uh, it's just because it's such a risky move. And I know a lot of players view Miami as somewhere that you can go and end your career and kind of ride off into the sunset. But I think J.J. Watt wants to go somewhere where he could win immediately. And I do think that the Texans, they're going to kind of give him, uh, you know, a little bit of a benefit there. They're going to recognize what he has brought to the franchise. And they're going to give him some say in what happens in terms of his future, if indeed he does get traded, because it is a hypothetical. So hopefully I answered that question as best as I I could to summarize it really quick I think any team would benefit from a guy like JJ Watt but I do think some teams would benefit more and they'd be willing to give up more and I don't think one of those teams right now is the Dolphins but that's just the way I'm looking at it but that was a great question it was one that had me and my friends talking about it and it had it led to some very interesting back and forth now we're going to begin with my preview of the game between the Dolphins and the 49ers but I will say a little disclaimer here there is still a lot of question marks for this game there are a lot of guys that are still questioning questionable um, that may not play and there are some very key players on both sides so a part of me is thinking I'm doing this preview a little bit too early but I don't want to get it out there too late so just keep in mind a lot of these guys I'm going to be referencing there's a chance that some of them will not go and they're guys that could drastically shape uh, the outcome of this game. So the Dolphins are one and three, and they will face off against the San Francisco 49ers, who are two and two. This game will be in San Francisco. The Dolphins are coming off of a surprisingly close loss against the Seattle Seahawks, and then the 49ers, on the other hand, they lost countless key players to injuries, and they are struggling. They lost last week to the Eagles by a score of 25 to 20. So we'll begin by taking a look at the Miami Dolphins. The Dolphins, as it stands right now, total offense. They are 23rd passing. They are 20th. And in rushing, they are 21st in the league. Ryan Fitzpatrick's overall performance thus far this season, I think, has been underwhelming. He's averaging 277 yards per game, which isn't bad. He has four touchdowns, five interceptions. He also has two touchdowns on the ground. But he is coming off what I think is his worst performance so far this season. It is one that has many fans wondering now that is it time to start Tua? Is it time to go with the rookie? And to say that uh, Fitzpatrick cost the team the game last week, I don't think it's much of a stretch. He threw those two interceptions. He had a few other mistakes. He had passes that should have been intercepted but were dropped. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick's game last uh, last week was one to be forgotten. But many now, and myself included, are beginning to wonder whether his arm strength is an issue here. The offense has revolved right now on these short to intermediate 
passes, but Fitzpatrick is the only quarterback who has started every game so far this season and that doesn't have a passing play of 40 plus yards. The receiving game, as of right now, it's becoming the Devontae Parker show. He leads the team in receiving with 279 yards. He also has a touchdown and he was featured extremely heavily against last week's matchup against the Seahawks. Isaiah 4-2, he's beginning to carve out this nice little role as a reliable safety valve for Fitzpatrick. He is right now second on the team in targets with 26. Uh, that's only three behind Parker. And I don't think many people expected him to be so involved in this offense right now. Now, what was once a promising group has now looked like kind of a major weakness for the Dolphins, and that is the receiver group here. I mean, Preston Williams and Mike Gesicki have combined for five catches and 52 yards over the last two games, and Williams is still last in the NFL in catch percentage, and that is from NFL's next-gen stats. Now, as for the running game, despite it being neutralized last week, the running game, in my mind, continues to look solid. Miles Gaskin is still receiving the bulk of the work. He is averaging 16 and a half touches per game. His involvement in both the running game and the passing game is still high as he is averaging a total of 76 yards per game. Now, despite taking the back seat to Gaskin, Matt Breida, he flashed some promise last week. It was his best game of the season so far. He had several big plays in the passing game. He finished with three catches for 39 yards, and he was able to show how he's able to make guys miss and how hard he is to bring down. As for Jordan Howard, though, uh, there's no comment there. He hasn't really been doing anything. Uh, the offensive line for the Dolphins, they continue to put up respectable performances, I think, but they could be facing in this game their most difficult challenge yet, and that is because rookie left tackle Austin Jackson is dealing with a foot injury. His current status for the game is still unknown. So that means that, you know, Julian Davenport, who saw some game time last week, he could be this uh, starting in his place, or we could see Jesse Davis move over from right tackle over to left. Now, the 49ers are still, you know, they're without Nick Bosa, but they will present a difficult challenge for this Dolphins offensive line, nonetheless. Now, to take a look at the Dolphins' defensive side of the ball, total defense, they are 27th in the league. When it comes to passing, they are 28th. When it comes to stopping the run, they are 20th. The defense has put up performances that I think kind of, uh, they range from atrocious to not so bad. We have yet to see the defense truly dominate their side of the ball, though. The secondary, though, the guys, they continue to get exposed. After several rough outings from rookie Noah Igbenogany, some have even began to wonder if it is too early to say that he is a bust. He was exposed by Stephon Diggs in week two, and then last week against the Seahawks, he was exposed by David Moore. He gave up a massive 57-yard play with 19 seconds left in the half, and he also gave up a touchdown to David Moore. So I said last week in my recap, uh, the, Xavier Howard, the guy is a great ball hawk. He showed that last week. He intercepted a pass in the end zone, and he always seems to do that. He gets these very, very clutch interceptions in the end zone, and I don't want to downplay the importance and how valuable that is. But at the same time, I got to say that he has not shown that he is a lockdown corner. Aside from the interception last week, he gave up six catches for 133 yards. Every pass against him was completed minus that interception. And that is uh, per pro football focus. 
The secondary, once again, they could be without their star cornerback, Byron Jones, for another week. He was limited in practice again after suffering that groin injury back in week two. And then if we take a look at the Dolphins linebacker group here, they've been up and down. Uh, through my own observation, I said that they look undersized. There doesn't appear to be that true traditional linebacker. You know, the guys who are capable of stopping a runner dead in their tracks. It doesn't seem like the Dolphins have one of those guys on this team. They got these versatile players who, you know, could be solid in, uh, solid in coverage, but the tackling issues, they, it leaves a lot to be desired uh, from the linebacker group here. Uh, when I look at the Dolphins' defensive line, uh, they've also kind of been up and down. They looked great against Jacksonville, I thought, in week three. And in week four, they had some good plays on Russell Wilson. But overall, there doesn't appear to be what I think is constant pressure. It doesn't seem like they're not they're doing it consistently. Uh, when the Dolphins sent blitzes last week, you could tell that Wilson felt it. But when they didn't, it almost seemed like the pressure was at times just non-existent. Um, Emmanuel Ogba, the defensive end, he has strung together two very good back-to-back -back games. It'll be interesting to watch if he continues this this week against Trent Williams, who is a 49ers left tackle. Now, we'll kind of use that to segue into the 49ers offense here. They are 11th in total yards per game. In passing, they are 12th, and in running, they are 11th. So they have been putting up some pretty good numbers. The issue here with the 49ers is we still don't know who will be the quarterback for this matchup. Jimmy Garoppolo could be making his return he suffered a high ankle sprain. We have a very limited sample size in terms of looking at what he did so far this season. He was 33 for 49. He had 390 yards, four touchdowns, and zero interceptions before suffering that high ankle sprain. But if he is unable to go, it could be C.J. Beathard, who went 14 for 19 last week with 138 yards after he took over for Nick Mullins. Or it could actually still be Nick Mullins, who looked really good in week three. He had 343 yards, and then he collapsed in the following week in week four against the Eagles. He threw two interceptions. He had a fumble, and I will emphasize the interceptions he threw were very bad. They were very bad interceptions, and I can't overstate this enough that Garoppolo starting in place of Mullins or Beathard is a massive, massive difference that could drastically shape the outcome of this game. Now, the 49ers offense have notoriously, uh, you know, they've been a team that uses a very run-heavy scheme. They want to chip away at a team until they can break one big. And that kind of mentality is what led to the arise of former Dolphin Raheem Mostert. Mostert was terrific last season. You know, he is the one who kind of led the way in that Super Bowl push and so far this season he has looked just as good before suffering a knee injury. This season he has 148 yards rushing, 110 yards receiving, and two touchdowns and that is in two games. He has a rush of 80 yards and a reception of 76 yards in this season. But again, he has missed the past two games. He is dealing with a knee injury. So there is a chance that another key player here for the 49ers is unable to go. Now, if Moster is unable to go, it will mean more of a role for Jarek Jet McKinnon. McKinnon has served as this dynamic back for the team. He has a touchdown in each of the last three games. While I will say I don't think he is as powerful of a runner as Mostert, he is good. He is versatile. He works great in the passing game as well. And then you could also 
also expect to see more Jeff Wilson if Mostert can't go. Now, as for the passing game for the 49ers, it obviously revolves around none other than George Kittle. He is coming off of this massive 183-yard game. He is undeniably one of the best tight ends in the entire NFL, if not the best tight end. So Miami, if you take a look at them, they have done a respectable job when it comes to stopping tight ends so far this season. They have given up the ninth fewest yards against tight ends. So that is pretty good. But at the same time, we have to look at who are the tight ends that they have faced? It has been Ryan Izzo, Tyler Eifert, Tyler Kraft, and Greg Olson. None of those players should even be mentioned in the same breath as George Kittle. So he is going to be a focal point. As for the receivers, everyone knew the 49ers needed receivers on this team before the season began. They lost Emmanuel Sanders. He went to the Saints. They lost Marquise Goodwin. He's with the Eagles. It isn't their strongest group, but nonetheless, they still have some very electric weapons at the receiver position. First, they have Kendrick Bourne, who leads the team in targets. He is somebody I view as kind of a reliable receiver. In a lot of ways, I look at him the same way that I look at Isaiah Ford. Now, rookie Brandon Ayuk, he has had a nice little surge recently. He racked up 88 yards receiving and 69 yards rushing and two touchdowns just in the last two games. Debo Samuel is also going to have a role. He made his debut of the season last week where he had 45 yards. And it's important to note, the 49ers use both Ayuk and Samuel heavily on sweet plays in the running game. They are quick and could capitalize on big plays if there's any sort of miscommunication or poor tackling. They are quick and they are very tough to get on the ground. Now, the offensive line for the 49ers on paper, it's a great one. However, to many surprise, it hasn't been so far this season. The struggles for the San Francisco 49ers offensive line has really held the team back from returning to being one those top rushing teams in the NFL. They haven't been able to return to that. And if you look at it, that was kind of their whole identity. Trent Williams, uh, you know, who came over from the Washington football team last week, he got manhandled and Williams was brought to San Francisco with the idea that he would be the best left tackle in the entire NFL. Yet Nick Barnett of the Eagles was dominating him, pushing him into the backfield on multiple occasions. It will be very interesting to see whether we see the elite Trent Williams or if we saw the one that came out last week. And as I mentioned earlier, Emmanuel Ogba has been doing really good. He could take advantage of Williams if he shows up looking as bad as he did last week. Now, to take a look at the 49ers on the defensive side of the ball, in total yards allowed, they rank third, so they have been doing a very good job holding teams to 294 yards per game. In passing, they are second holding teams to 184, and in stopping the run, they are 15th. Now, the 49ers defense was, you know, undisputably in the top three of the NFL last season, uh, you know, but this year they lost Nick Bosa to the ACL injury. They lost to Forrest Buckner in a trade with the Colts. Richard Sherman is looking at a week six return after he was placed on IR. They're still at the top of the league right now, but they aren't the absolute force that they were before. And if you look at the teams that they have gone up against, you know, the Eagles really aren't striking fear. They don't have a good group of receivers. The Giants Giants are a mess so far this season. I don't think I really need to go into details about the New York Jets. And then when they went up against DeAndre Hopkins and the Cardinals, man, Hopkins had a field day on him. So even though the 49ers have been putting up good numbers, you have to look at who they've been up against so far this season. 
Former Pro Bowl linebacker Quan Alexander leads the 49ers in tackles. Fred Warner has also been a great linebacker for the team. The front consisting of Eric Armstead and Javon Kinlaw, you know, despite not showing in the sack column, they have been doing a very good job at disrupting the quarterback. Now, the secondary, without Sherman, the 49ers secondary consists of Jaquiski Tart, Jimmy Ward, Kelly Witherspoon, Emmanuel Mosley, and Dante Johnson. Now, none of these guys guys I think should be striking fear in an offense. Uh, they have been doing a good job. I think they have been playing better than most expected them to and they have been holding their own. Uh, I will say though Dante Johnson gave up a huge touchdown play last week but despite that overall they have been surprisingly solid but nothing that makes me definitively say they're going to shut down the Dolphins group of receivers here. Again I refer back to DeAndre Hopkins having a field day in week one against the 49ers. This defense could be beat. I just think they've gone up against some bad teams. So we're going to dive into my expectations so far this season. My first expectation is that it's a slower game with a lot of running the ball. I think the 49ers will want to slow down the game and their defense's ability to slow down the Dolphins offense could make that possible. I expect the 49ers to have success on the ground if Mostert plays and if they're having success, I don't expect them to stray away from it. Now my next expectation is that George Kittle plays well. Despite the Dolphins having had success against the previous tight end matchups, I think that is largely in part because of who they were going up against. Kittle will almost always be the focal point for the 49ers offense. It's hard to think of somebody on the Dolphins defense who I could see lining up against them without it being a very obvious mismatch. My next expectation is that we get more Devontae Parker. Devontae Parker was great last week and he continues to be the only truly dependable receiver, I think, on this offense. The 49ers, they have a good defense as a unit, but in a one-on-one -on -one matchup, I think I give Parker the edge on most of these guys. That should be, in my mind, enough to give them another solid game. Uh, I will say, though, I don't expect the pace of this game to be as fast as the one last week. So uh, last week, you know, I said I expected him to have over 120, and he had around 115. So this one, I'm just going to say that I expect him to have over 70 yards in this game. Now, my last expectation for this game is that Fitzpatrick does enough to keep his job for at least another week. After all the cries for Tua, I think Fitzpatrick here drops a solid performance. I expect it to be more similar to the stat line against Jacksonville, trending more towards efficiency and, and taking what the defense gives you as opposed to putting up some colossal amount of production. I don't see that necessarily happening. Now, my keys to the victory here for the Dolphins, uh, the first one's going to be to neutralize the receivers. I don't expect the Dolphins or many teams for that matter to completely shut down George Kittle. But if the Dolphins are getting shredded by a receiver group here consisting of Debo Samuel, Kendrick Bourne, and Brandon Ayuk, then I think there's no chance. Both Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk are playmakers and could easily break off some big plays at any moment. They must be contained. And I'm looking specifically at guys like Noah Igbenogany, Jamal Perry, Nick Needham. 
And I guess now, Xavier Howard, after what happened last week, my next key to the victory is force the 49ers to pass the ball. And this kind of ties in to that first point. But if the 49ers can run the entire game with success, they're going to absolutely do that. I personally think that Garoppolo still, even till this point, hasn't proven to be much more than a game manager. So I think forcing him to beat you is still a pretty solid, respectable recipe for going about this game. As for whether it's CJ Beathard or Nick Mullen starting in his place, then guys, just please force those guys to pass the ball. Now, my last and final key to the victory here is a receiver not named Devontae Parker must step up and the offense must take some more chances. And I will say Parker and his 10-yard slants were working great for the Dolphins last week. But if the 49ers watch any sort of film, they're going to recognize that and they're going to come up with some sort of plan to contain him or at least limit his ability to do that. So somebody else here must step up. Preston Williams has looked like a complete ghost this season. He has disappeared. Mike Kosicki was great in week two and all of a sudden he disappeared as well. And on top of that, I know this is a Chan Gailey offense that revolves around these short passes and getting the ball in the playmaker's hands. But even now, I think the Dolphins still, they need to push the ball downfield. They need to take some more chances, get guys in these one-on-one -on -one opportunities, even if they are, you know, putting a heavy emphasis on Devontae Parker. Give a Preston Williams a jump ball opportunity. Give uh, Mike Kosicki an opportunity down the field. There needs to be more chances taken. It seems like the Dolphins offense right now, even though it is progressing, it looks still very vanilla and pretty restricted. It doesn't look like they are aggressive enough on the offense of side of the ball. Now, guys, that is how I'm going to wrap up this episode. As always, if you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Twitter. That is at via the source. If you'd like to follow my personal Twitter account, feel free to do so. That is at Shady Steven. I tweet about more than sports there, and that's why I do have a separated one. And I do want to say also that I appreciate the question I got. See, it's topics like that. When people ask me questions or topics I like to discuss, it makes it a lot more fun and I love interacting with you guys and uh, getting some different topics because I wouldn't have even uh, thought about discussing that until he recommended it and I was very happy uh, to get that question. I do think it was a very quality one. Now guys, that is how I'm going to wrap it up though. Until next time, I'm Steven Masso and this was Via the Source.